You're listening to the St. Mark's Podcast for March 1st, 2020, the first Sunday in Lent. Today's sermon was given by the Reverend Justin Crisp. It's based on Psalm 32 and the Great Litany. As Father Peter explained at the beginning of our Eucharist this morning, the Great Litany, a slightly updated version of which we prayed in procession just a moment ago, was the first bit of liturgy to be translated into the English language in the mid-16th century by the first Protestant Archbishop of Canterbury, Thomas Cranmer. The Great Litany begins by invoking the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, admits our sins, individual and collective, begs God to to preserve us from natural disaster and civil unrest, and then grounds our hope for a renewed future in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. Now, processing around a church chanting deprecations, and that's what they're called, deprecations uh, of our evil and wickedness, our sin and the ways of the devil, can seem antique, to say the least, or fake, or even cruel to modern people. But I want to suggest they actually represent a way more sophisticated way to conceive of our moral lives than does our contemporary American culture. A sin is an act or disposition of the heart or mind which separates us from God. That's what a sin is. Sin, the word, names the spiritual aspect of wrongdoing. It names the distortion of our relationship with God and our neighbors and creation that results from wrongdoing. And sins are thought to accrue, okay? They build up. They stick to us, as it were. They pollute the atmosphere of our souls and starve them of the oxygen of God's life and love. And the recognition that we are starving for God's life and love, that we are we're finding it difficult to breathe, is called guilt. Okay, those are those pangs of conscience that tell us that something's not quite right in us. Now, the good news is that there is a remedy for the pollution or stain of sin, and there is always thought to have been one. Sin, that is, can be cleaned up. It does not stick to us forever. Ancient Israel developed a sacrificial system, an incredibly complex and sophisticated one, that did just that. It aimed to cleanse the sins of the people, which they thought actually built up inside the innermost sanctum of the temple in Jerusalem. And they would wash the room clean with the blood of an animal. And early Christians conceived of Jesus' work on earth in much the same way. Jesus being a full and final sacrifice in which God, in the flesh, cleaned up all of our souls by his own agony and bloody sweat, his cross and passion, and so on, as Ned chanted a moment ago. Now, this can sound utterly bizarre, downright occult, Okay, I know, to mid, uh, well, to 21st century ears, anyway. But the point of it is simple enough. 
We are distorted and stained by the wrongs we do, but we can be cleaned up by divine supernatural means. Means as ordinary as the consolation given by the Holy Spirit after a moment of great candor in prayer. I know many of you have felt it, a moment where you are finally honest with God about something you regret, and all of a sudden a great peace comes over you. Or, means as ordinary simply as hearing words of pardon said by a priest, which Reverend Elizabeth will do in just a moment after the confession. These are not nearly as vivid as the ancient priests of Israel going into the Holy of Holies to sprinkle the blood of an animal across the room, but that's what we believe is happening. Our sins are being cleaned away. Morality and the ways that we deal with immorality are primal, mysterious, and weird. They all are. And we are sorely mistaken if we think that modern Westerners are much more sophisticated than the late medieval Christians who wrote the original version of our prayer book. Their moral world was one of guilt and forgiveness. Ours is one of shame and contempt. The Great Litany contains words which Thomas Cramer and all Christians believe can be said frankly and honestly by every human being on earth. Every human being on earth being both good and bad, both lovely and flawed. Our culture cannot abide such ambiguity. It conceives of human beings not as both good and bad, but as either good or bad either worthy of praise or worthy of shame, and all the way down. And whereas ancient Israel had temples and Christians today have altars, MSNBC and Vox and Breitbart and Fox have shiny glass desks at which the priests of our culture, the priests of our shame society, lead us not in confession and repentance, but in a liturgy of judgment and self-exoneration. That's the way a shame society works. Carve up the people. Put the good ones over here and the bad ones over there. And I don't care if the fantasized object is Harvey Weinstein or Hillary Clinton or a racist white coal miner or a black welfare queen. Shame is the moral tool Americans now turn to habitually. It's the only one <clears throat> we seem still to have at our disposal. And make no mistake, it is incompatible with the Christian concepts of guilt and repentance, the possibility we all have for amendment of life, the fact that we are both good and bad, both, all of us, and that there is something to do about the bad by grace. Shame is just as arcane as sin, just as old, just as ancient, only more totalizing more uncompromising, and less sophisticated. If you're tired of it, remember it requires an audience. That's how it works. It needs us to boo and jeer at the people being shamed. For the love of God, let's stop watching. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you.
can find more sermons on our website at www.stmarksnewcanon.org.